I got the little reader, so. Anyway, tonight what I want to do is preach the gospel. As we move closer to Easter, I mean, any time is a good time to preach the gospel, and I think we always do that here. But I specifically want to preach the gospel. Now, Mike has a word rolling through his mind this year called cultivate. I've had a word rolling through my mind this year called tone. It's been a big word for me. I don't always have the right tone. And one thing, I'm, I listen to people who preach on the radio a lot. I, I drive around a lot, so I'm all time listening. And I hear a lot of good messages. I'm just not always happy with the tone. There's sometimes, and, and maybe it's just the way it comes across, but there's sometimes in people's tone something lacking, something less, something that I don't believe I would hear in Jesus' voice if he was speaking the same message. So I'm very conscious about tone. When we want to talk about the gospel, the gospel is just a word means good news. If we want to talk about the gospel and about the good news, that involves talking a little bit about the bad news. It's not good news unless it's remedied a problem. And sometimes we have to talk about the problem. And in uh, talking about the problem, the tone has to be right or else it can be hurtful. I think about Jesus preaching to the Pharisees. And I've seen, like you have, many different Jesus movies where he's doing that. And sometimes I think they got the tone right. You know, the Bible is one dimensional. It's words on a page. You have to put an inflection in that. And sometimes the inflection we put in it is often an indication of what we think or believe or the vision we have that God has of us and the tone may not be right. I believe with all of my heart <clears throat> that when Jesus railed against the Pharisees, there was an undertone that said, if you but turn, I would gather you like a hen gathers its chicks. That's hard to do when you're upset with people for being legalistic and for hurting the very people that you're trying to reach. And yet I believe fully that his tone would have been like that. So tone is a big deal for me, and the wrong tone, even with the right message, can hurt, so I'm conscious about that, and I'd like to pray about that before we begin, and you pray over me as we pray that we get this message right. Holy Father, who are we to take your message and use it to beat up someone else? or to control someone else, or manipulate them. Father, somehow, in some way, with your spirit, would you speak through me these words that you want people to hear with the tone that you would have delivered in, so that they can do their work. Just bless us, Father, to uh, hear the message as you would intend for us to hear. In Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> um, I want to begin reading the passage in Exodus 34, beginning in verse 4. 
It's a beautiful passage. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Look, this message of God and his compassion and his grace is good news. No, no doubt about it. And it even says, they use a, a Hebrew kind of grammatical thing. He says, he, he um, oh, oh yeah, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He's not trying to identify three different types of sin. He's trying to heap up words for effect. Basically, there is no sin that God cannot and will not forgive. He's, he forgives all sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. How can, he, how can he do this? We know that God is an eternal God, completely holy and completely righteous. How then can he be righteous and yet forgive sin? This is the paradox of the scriptures. This is the thing on which our lives hinge. Let me read a couple passages. Ezra 9.15 Lord, the God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. God is a righteous judge, says Psalm, 11, Psalm 7.11, a God who displays his wrath every day. Psalm 48.10 Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your hand is filled with righteousness. Psalm 56. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Yet, the scriptures proclaim that he does forgive sin. One of the most beautiful psalms David ever wrote, Psalm 32, beginning verse, well, in verse 1 and 2, he says this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now I'd ask you, is this the language of a righteous judge? A righteous judge does not cover iniquities. If you can look back in our news in the past few years, and it's it's kind of common from time to time to hear about a judge who lets someone off very easy that's committed a terrible crime. And people rouse up and they scream and rail against him. And how could he do this? And, um, you know, cry out for justice for the victims. So even we understand 
There must be justice when there is a great wrongdoing. There has to be punishment for it. <laughs> one of, this is crazy, but one of the most terrifying things that we can say about God is that God is good. And you're like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. How could that be a terrifying thing? Because if God is good and we are not, then we have a problem. We have a real problem. It was no problem when the God of the heaven took the rebellious demons and cast them out of heaven. Will not the God of all the earth do right? I mean, it was, that was his justice. The real problem comes when he tells Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And they ate. And they didn't die. Not right away. We say it began the process, but it took many, 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 many years. And Satan then, the accuser, came alive. You said she would die. You said they would die. They haven't died. Even Noah on the ark. He was found to be righteous, relatively so perfect. No, God calls the flood, and Noah and his family were saved, and the accuser, you know, how can you let him live? Why are you not judging Abraham? He lied to save his own skin, put his wife in peril. How can you call David a man after your own heart? He is a murderer and an adulterer and a liar. That's when the real problem rises up, is when the righteous judge of all the earth passes over iniquities. And the accuser rails against him, saying, you're not levying punishment. You're not punishing the iniquities of the people. Romans 3.23 says, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we want God to be righteous and to judge all kinds of things, corrupt governments, corrupt corporations, really, really bad people. We want his judgment. But in calling for their judgment, we really lay the executioner's acts at our own necks because if we have all sinned, we all deserve judgment. This is the part where the tone is just critical, absolutely critical. First, you never want those who have called on the name of the Lord already to ever, ever feel condemnation. You cannot receive from this message for if you have called on Christ's name that there is condemnation for you. The scriptures say that. There is no condemnation. Yet I still think it's a wonderful thing to look back at what we have been redeemed from it was common for God to recount for the people of Israel their exodus from Egypt so that they would praise him. And to have a good understanding of what Christ did will only serve to enhance our faith and hopefully call the few who may not have called on his name to do so. Romans 1, 
eight, beginning of verse 18, says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither, neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles and maybe things in our world, money, and on and on goes the list. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderer, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's the bleak part. This, then, is how mankind found himself. It is dark. It is filled with depravity. Whew. And at one time, we were all in this shape, and many in the world we live still are. How can it be resolved? How do we climb out of this mess? Well, we, we can't climb out of it. And yet, how can a holy God forgive such a fallen humanity? Now look, in Romans 3, 23 through 26, we get some uh, levity, I guess, to the darkness. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate 
his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. Now, this beautiful little verse in 2 Corinthians, there's a group called acapella. Did any of you ever listen to the group acapella? You're not former Church of Christ or so. <laughs> we, we could play acapella at our events because there wasn't any music in it. So. <laughs> it's great stuff. And they sing a song based on this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become his righteousness. Oh, you know that song? So we might become his righteousness. Christ was made sin. He knew no sin. Jesus, fully man, yet fully without sin. This guy I was listening to made this point. He said, consider this. There has never been one moment in time, in our lives and in all the lives of human history, where one person at any time ever fully loved God with his whole heart, her whole heart, soul, mind, and strength as God deserves. Not ever, not once. Isaiah in 64, 6 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even our righteous acts, he says, are filthy before God. All we try to do apart from Jesus is tainted with pride, with selfish ambition, with name it, everything else. Yet, well, let me ask you this question. What is the greatest sin? The greatest sin, there's one great sin against the Holy Spirit, which really is ultimately unbelief. But is it possible, and, and this boils down into the same thing, that breaking the greatest commandment is the greatest sin? What is the greatest commandment, Jesus said? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And we've never done it. I would like to find one person who would say, I have, you know, I have loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm glad I'm not under that weight. Now, consider this. There was never a moment in the life of Jesus that he never fully and completely did not love God with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not one moment in his earthly history that he did not completely love God with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength as God deserves. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet he did not sin. I was listening to a guy named Paul Washer, and he said, let me give you an example. I'm going to talk about Jesus being tempted as we are, but he said his situation was much worse. 
There's two of us standing up here is me and this Olympic weightlifter, right? Big strong guy. And we got a bar on our shoulders, 45 pounds. I'm okay. I feel it. This, I'm good. He's got a 45 pound bar. They come up and bring a couple plates. All right. I'm good, 135 pounds. I'm here, you know. I'm here. They put it on his and he's, he doesn't even flinch, right? So then they put on two more. And now we're up to what, 310? No, I'm sorry, we're at 220. And I'm like, ooh, it's <laughs> a lot of weight, man. I don't do this every day. He's just standing there, not even flinching. A couple more plates. I'm at 310 and I go down. So, man, and he's not flinching. And they keep putting weight on his bar. Now he's at six. Now he's at seven. Now he's at 800 pounds. And the guy is firm as a rock. 800 pounds. 800 would have put me through the floor, not on it. I crumbled at 310. He's holding up. And the point is, Jesus was tempted in every way like as we are, but much, much, much more. And he stood firm. He never flinched. He did not sin. He loved God completely as he ought. Listen, when you come here to the refuge, there's one thing we want you to know, that you will always hear about Jesus. Jesus is front and center, Jesus is our champion. It's not about anything other than Jesus because we know from whence we came and we know where we are now and he is our center, our champion. Listen what Isaiah says about him in 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the Lord will prosper him. And he says, and he bore the sin of the many and made intercessions for the transgressors. What did he do for us? 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness in our part doesn't mean that we have no sin. It just means that we were declared right. It's 
It's a legal declaration that says, justified. So we get the proclamation to stand before a holy and righteous God as justified. And not only are we justified, but we are treated as being right. Amen. We are treated as being right. It's not a game he plays. The Holy Righteous One bore our sin, and we are justified. On the cross, the sins of God's people were imputed to the Son. Jesus was legally declared guilty before God, and he was treated as guilty in the place of his people. Jesus, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, was hauled before the bar of God and damned as guilty. Jesus on the tree is broken and guilty. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. We know that we, are completely, we have completely failed to keep God's law. Therefore, God put a curse on us, a curse, separated from God and considered vile. That's where we were prior to being in Christ. Paul said, for all who rely on the works of law are under curse. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified. The righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the person who does these things will live by them. In other words, if you try to go before God on the basis of law, then he says, okay, how have you done? How did you do? Well, I think I did okay. No, 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 no. Law demands perfection, absolute perfection, and nobody has done it. And then, therefore, we're under a curse. And the scriptures say Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Christ became a curse. I, I'd like to try to imagine this conversation between the Father and the Son. Who shall we send to redeem these people? Father, I'm able. I'll go. Well, first of all, to say I am able. I am able. And that's, that, that's more than what I can almost bear. I am able. Wow. He is able. I will go. Okay. But before you go, you must understand one thing. I will not negate one bit of punishment. Not one bit. I am able. I will do it. Sometimes take a few minutes and read Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Just before the Israelites are made a full people of God, take over the land of Jericho, some of the tribes of Israel stand on Mount Gerizim and pronounce blessings. Some on Mount Ebal and pronounce curses. In other words, God is saying, this is the covenant that we have. You are going to be my people. And if you do not do this curse, this your curses everyone who doesn't do this curse. And it goes on and on. And, but here are the blessings for if you do. And then more curses. And it just... and. and these curses have stood against us in the law forever. 
until Jesus nailed it to the tree. There was no freedom. The sacrifices we know did not provide real forgiveness. It gave the Day of Atonement. You know, we say roll forward, however you want to view it, in, in light of Christ, God forgave. But um, God can't overlook our sin. He's holy and he's righteous, and he can't do it. In Philippians 2, 5, we read that Jesus, who was in very nature, did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He left his throne in glory, emptied himself, took on humanity. And you know what the scriptures say? Luke 2.52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. He grew. He learned. There were things he learned. And I imagine as time went on, there would have been a revelation to him of what he was facing and it would have hit him in the chest. Boom. And then a little more fuller revelation of what was, he was facing. And boom. And then the full weight of what he was facing bore on him in the Garden of Gethsemane and in Luke 22 beginning in verse 39 we read Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place he said pray that you will not fall into temptation. He drew about a stone's throw away, knelt down and prayed Father if you are willing take this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done. An angel of heaven, this Luke's the only one we read this in. An angel of heaven appeared and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. <laughs> and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now I've said everything I've said to get to this point. What was in the cup? Father, take this cup from me. What? was in the cup. Why was his anguish so great that he sweat drops of blood? There's an interesting warning Paul gives to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 6. And he, well, let's just read verse 8. He says, He will punish those who do, do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord in order that, uh, I'm sorry, and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from God's presence and from the glory of his might. In the garden, what is Jesus about to face? Separation. Yeah. For the first time, Time He is going to feel the full weight of God's wrath. Utterly separated from God. A bunch of Roman soldiers and the pending torture and death on the cross was horrific. And that's what we tend to focus on in our messages around Easter. But I want you to hear me. That is not what caused his anguish. Many martyrs throughout the history of the church, especially the 300 years following this time period when there was such a persecution, 
went to death on the cross and much worse, great torture they went through. And many of them went singing joyfully to be able to be counted fortunate enough to suffer for Jesus. Were they stronger than Jesus? They didn't suffer what he suffered. He suffered for us the full weight of the grapes of God's wrath. And he was in such anguish, he would ask God, please take this cup from me. But he stood firm on his feet and said, not my will. Matthew 27, verse 46. Jesus is hanging on the cross. It's about three in the afternoon, and Jesus cries out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> and here's another oddity. This is what we delight in. This is what can wake you up at 3 o'clock in the morning, put you on your knees in front of your bed with your hands raised. Holy Father, did you do that for me? Our sweet Savior, our Jesus, our elder brother, stood in our place bearing the full force of the righteous cup of the wrath of God and suffered unimaginably that we might be redeemed and brought into fellowship with our Father. This is the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, Beginning in verse 1, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's no king. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his coming grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow. What else can be said? In a few minutes, our worship team will come back up here and we will spend some time praising God who we are in Jesus. Manny has prepared communion for us, and we practice open communion. And 
all are invited to thank God for this great salvation we have. We will eat the bread, the body of Christ, and drink the cup, his blood, not the cup of wrath, but of peace. And uh, maybe as while we're getting ready for all that, let me read overview just a few scriptures and then we'll pray for our communion time. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Check this out. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And we said this a few weeks. Do you know what Jesus does for us, for you, for me, every day? Intercedes on our behalf. We can't lose. We cannot lose. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You who have accepted Jesus, listen, we have tough times, bad times, horrible times. We cannot lose. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we in him might become the righteousness of God oh I love this one Colossians 2 when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He is taking it away, nailing it to the cross. Whew. Last one. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he is giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, listen, that can never perish, never spoil, never fade, never. I'm going to stand on that one, Nanny. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Shielded by God. You can't lose. You cannot lose. Thanks be to God.
Let's just pray over our communion time and worship. Father, we love the gospel story. You redeemed us from the grapes of wrath. And Father, had you taken each one of us and punished us eternally, the only thing that could have been said was that the God of all the earth has done right. No charge could be brought against you. But in your great love, you provided one for us. Perfect, sinless, unblemished Lamb of God who bore all of our iniquities and your wrath and redeemed us. Father, we just stand in awe of that. Thank you for worship, for communion, for the bread, for the wine, so that we can keep remembering what you have done for us and who we are. We are your sons, your daughters. We are beloved of you. We are uncondemned. We are free. We are born again, unshackled. We march boldly into the throne room and stand in your presence unashamed. How can that be? We just thank you for it, Lord. We stand on those promises in Jesus' name.